Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. It's true. Author Magazine, or Author to Author, is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across all genres, all genres, including uh, romance. My current interview is with um, Mr. Damon Swade, president-elect of the Romance Writers of America and a fascinating guy. Tornado of a conversation it was. It was, and it was good. You'll want to check it out no matter what you read. Uh, all of it's at authormagazine.org. Go check it out. We're also funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Great organization. Offer lots of classes throughout the year. We put on a conference in September. Well, that's done. But uh, we don't stop. No, we don't. There's still classes we offer, monthly meetings. The meetings can be attended by anybody, virtually, yes. I mean, vir- that, not virtually anyone, but anyone can attend it virtually through the Internet. That's right. So you can do that if you're a member. Where We talk about craft and business of writing, but we also offer classes if you're in the Northwest. I'll be teaching some, I believe. It's worth your time. It's worth the $65 a year to cost to be a member. Go to pnwa.org to learn more. Hey, I taught, if you were there, if you were here in the Northwest last weekend, and you attended right on the sound. Maybe we ran into each other. Had a great fearless writing class there. Half-day workshop. A lot of fun. Thank you if you were there. It was great. Great class. And I'll be doing more teaching at uh, in Pasadena, the Writer's Digest Novel Writing Conference in uh, the end of the month, 24th, 25th, down there in Pasadena, California, like I said. I think Alice Hoffman, the wonderful Alice Hoffman, will be the keynote speaker. Looks like a great conference. Should be a lot of fun. I'll be there. Hope to see you there. All right. Enough about me. What about today's guest? Oh, not just any guest. Hank Flippy Ryan. Hank is the on-air investigative reporter for Boston's WHDH-TV. She's won, get ready, people, 36 Emmys, 14 Edward R. Murrow Awards, and dozens of other honors for her groundbreaking journalism. A nationally best-selling author of 11 mystery novels, Hank has also won multiple prestigious awards for her crime fiction, five Agathas, three Anthonys, the Daphne, two McCavities, and the coveted Mary Higgins Clark Award. National reviews have called Hank a master at crafting suspenseful mysteries and a superb and gifted storyteller. Her novels have been named Best Thrillers of the Year by Library Journal, New York Post, BookBub, uh, Pop Sugar, Real Simple Magazine, and others. Her newest book is the acclaimed standalone psychological thriller, The Murder List, which won, which CNN named an ultimate beach read. And the library journal Rave starred, reviewed, calls it a riveting must read. And she's with us today. Hank, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I love being here. It's great to hear that introduction because... You know, on the days that I'm having a bad writing day, and then I hear those things reminding me of, you know, it's worked. It can work. You know, I I should just persevere. Sometimes it turns out okay. So I I really, I love hearing that. Thank you. Yes, we can't rest on our laurels, can we? But it is good back to remember. It is good to look and see if I have done this before. It's a great, you know. Have you ever read the book? 
uh, A Movable Feast by Ernest Hemingway, which is sort long of ago, his, sure. Okay, so it's a little memoiry thing. There's a great scene in it where he's describing himself as a young writer, and he can't write, and it's not working, and he goes to the fireplace, and he peels some oranges, and he says, you've written before, and you will write again. Do not worry. You have written before. You will write again. And I think we all kind of <laughs> go through that, that, don't we? We do. I come out. I'll come out of my study and say to my husband, "Honey, I can't do this. This is, this is, this is just not going to work." And he says, "You said that the last book, and the last book before that too." And I said, and I always say, "I know, but this is the time that it might not really work. This might be the time that I'm really right." And he says, "You said that last time too." (laughs) Um, And so it's very reassuring to have someone remind you. I mean, it seems like it's new. Every moment of self-doubt and every moment when you think you read a book that you had written previously and you think, I don't even know any of those words. You know, who's the person that thought of those words? I I never said that. I couldn't have thought of that. Uh, You know, I can. And if I did, it's all gone now. I could never do it again. I think that every single book. I love this. Of course. And so I wrote a book called Fearless Writing because it is my, it's not even belief, it's my knowledge that you you learn the craft, and once you learn it, you kind of have the craft. But your confidence, your connection to where stories come from, that you have to find every time you sit down. You just can't, that is not a point on the grid. You have to find it and find it and find it. Find your Find the muse, whatever language you use for what it is that helps you tell the stories. That you have to find every single time. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because I, I just came from teaching a class at the Deadwood Writers Conference. It's actually the mm. South Dakota Festival of the Book, and it was fabulous in Deadwood, um, one uh-huh. of the coolest places ever. I loved South Dakota; it was amazing. But one of the one of the thing one of the classes that I taught was is called "There Is No Writer's Block," because I mm. do think that is a false um, disease or I agree. fear. It's just fear. Yep. It's just fear. Yep. And I and you know what I was teaching was practical ways to sort of mine why it is you're telling this story. And oh, one good. of the things that often works for me is, and if any of your listeners want to have the list of, of questions to ask yourself, happy to send them. Just contact me by way of my website. But one of the things that I always think about when I'm staring at that screen, um, and you realize why they call it a cursor, right? Because it's yeah. just <laughs> blinking back good. and forth. Yeah, I've heard um, that. Is, 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 um, is I say, why do I care about this? Why do I care? Good. Because Good. if I, if I, if you, the writer, cares about the scene, then the reader will care too. And if you don't care, you know, your, you know, job one is to make your make a reason to care. Write something yes. that people will care about, and that propels the story. That's that's what you're lacking if you can't write. It's you don't care. Abs- yes, and in fact, one of the things you have to like. So if you're telling a story, a story is kind of like a conversation. When you're having the conversation, it makes sense. But a story. Only, I think, makes sense while you're telling it. You can kind of think about it, but you have to be in it to really understand it. And I think not only do you have to find the story every sit down, but every time you sit down, but just like you said, you have to remember why you're interested in it. Every time you have to find the interest, find the interest. Sometimes it's very easy, but sometimes your attention is elsewhere. Maybe you're thinking about your kids or politics or whatever. You have to find it every time you sit down. And I think a lot of young writers, beginning writers, don't understand that that's what they're having to do. And they feel untalented. They feel like they have no ideas, but they're simply not lined up with their interest. 
Does that you make know, it's, I think, linguistically I do, make I think, sense? I, I, it doesn't matter. It all makes sense to me. Um, it's interesting because I think after 43 years as a reporter, um, I have learned sort of the rhythm of a story and the architecture right. of a story that there's a character who you care about and a problem that needs to be solved. Right. You, you're right. tracking down clues and following research. And then you want the good guys to win and you want the right. bad guys to get what's coming to them. And in the right. end, you want to change the world a little bit and you want some justice. So, but when I, and that's, you know, an investigative story, and that's my, my suspense stories are, right. are, are that same architecture. But I, I do think, you know, I, I don't use an outline for my stories, and we can talk about right. this later if you like. But um, the idea, the, the sort of, pit, you know, the, the abyss below when you type chapter one and you know there are 400 pages to go and you have no idea what's, what's going to be on those pages, I mean, yeah. that – that's that's daunting. But I, I do think that after all these years as a reporter, you know, when I'm out working on a story, when I'm searching for a story, um, when I'm tracking down an investigation, I don't know what the end will be, right? Because if right. I did, it wouldn't be new. It would be old. So that's the same thing I'm doing, apropos of what you're saying. That's the same thing I'm doing when I'm, when I'm writing. I'm looking for the story. And I know that if I just persevere – that the story will somehow reveal itself to me, the, the plot even, and the characters even, and the what might happen next even. And then sort of what comes after that is sort of a theme emerges. Um, yeah. And when you see that your story that you didn't know that existed before has a theme, somebody once yeah. said to me that, Finding your theme is like dropping a drop of iodine into a glass of clear water, that it just yes. colors oh, everything like that you've it. written before, doesn't it? And you think, yeah, oh, this is good. my story about redemption. This is my story about yeah. revenge. And then everything that you've written flows, is, you know, is sort of um, held together, is sort of bound by the theme. And then when you have that, then your story just rockets ahead. But I yeah. agree with you so much about young writers that there's an impatience um, to it. And there can't be, I mean, there can't be impatience because the story has to um, build in your mind and build in your heart and then come out in a way that's, that's natural. And that might not be the first or second or third or fourth time right. through. That That's may right. be as the story, you know, is that little, what do you call those things in sourdough, the little starter, yeah, this, yeah, you know, little, starts yeah, yeah. to ferment yeah. and grow, and you, sometimes you can't control that, you know, that's that's your brain thinking about it and cultivating the the ground i'm going to just beat this into the ground forgive me um yeah. to come up with this with this fertile idea that then yeah. blossoms and you can't hurry that no and i'd like to put a point on that because i was just working with a client today and talking about this and i talk about it actually a lot when i teach fearless writing which is that when I'm writing along and I come to a point in whatever I'm writing where I'm not sure what the way forward is, but I'm very interested in where it's going, but I haven't not sure which direction to go. I will sit there. And if I've mastered something, it's this moment of sitting there, not knowing what's coming next and not knowing what the next sentence will be and waiting for the next, for the, for my understanding of it to come waiting for it to arrive. But what I've learned is absolutely key is I cannot for one moment begin to doubt that it will come. The instant I doubt it will come, the door to wherever those ideas come from is closed immediately. 
And I have to remain, the, the diligence is remaining open and knowing that what I can't see will come even though I can't see it. But the moment I doubt it will come, it doesn't come. You, it's really it, almost binary. No, I, I, I completely am on the same wavelength as you. There's a wonderful quote from Thomas Edison who said something like, um, when you think you have exhausted all of the possibilities, remember this, you haven't. <laughs> you know, and isn't that so great? Because it means that you know you're sitting there thinking, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't yeah, know, and your brain yeah. begins to seize up. You know, your brain yep. begins to become afraid. But yep. if you say to yourself, Well, yikes! You know, Edison thought of 106 things for the light bulb that didn't yeah. work until he yep. came up with however many the one he came up with the tungsten. So he, you know, when someone said to him, Oh my goodness, you know, you that must have been so frustrating, and he said, No, now I know 106 <laughs> things that don't work, and it's. Yeah. It's all it's all educational. It's all yeah. the process. It's all that you have to go through. And if we can look at it as exciting because the 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 great idea is around the next corner. And and how and it always works. I can tell you this. I know I'm knocking on wood as I say this, but it always <laughs> works. When the universe is ready to present you with the idea, then it yeah. will be there. And if you just believe that, um, and don't be afraid. I mean, I love your fearless writing uh, yeah. mantra because yeah. fear is the thing that will stop you. Um, and I think that's, that's why it. I started writing, actually. I had a really good idea. This is back in 2000, gosh, six-ish, five-ish, okay. possibly. I had a. I always wanted to write, and I never had a you good did? idea. Okay, wait. I, I'm going to slow you down. Did you want to okay. write from, like, college age? From, like, like, how long have you wanted to write? By, by, and by writing, you mean fiction or book-length stuff, yeah? Yeah, well, you know, that is kind of a complicated question. I mean, I grew up in really rural Indiana, so rural okay. that you couldn't see another house from our house. Wow. And my sister wow. and I used to ride our ponies to the library. That's how rural wow. it was. And we'd fill Whoa. up the saddlebags with books and read up in the hayloft of the barn behind our house. Oh, my God. And like another what, world. It, it, it was, and it was lovely. Um, yeah. It, I mean, I wasn't so happy since I was sort of – geeky and nerdy and unpopular right. only my i mean how many of us had this childhood but i did fall in love with reading i fell in love with storytelling i fell in love with nancy drew and sherlock holmes yeah and then i remember i read i read murder on the orient express and wow. i thought oh my gosh how did she do that right um, and sherlock holmes for you know for character and wry humor and you know beautiful plots and unexpected endings and there turned out to be this sort of architecture and music of a mystery you know and i loved that that the idea that a really good storyteller could lure you in and keep right. you turning the pages and then in the end surprise you you know with something right. that was inevitable but yep. surprising so yep. i didn't i knew i wanted to either be a be a you know a mystery author or a detective, and that's where I sort of differ from a lot of a lot of young writers. I thought it might be more fun to be Nancy Drew, to be Sherlock right. Holmes. Well, you, that's what than you kind of did. To write. and that's exactly so you, right. That's and that's what, what you I became did. an investigator. That's an investigator. That's so cool, yeah. and also a Isn't storyteller. It? And a storyteller, 100%. For so, wow, that's so cool. And it's so it's exactly as I was saying, it's the same skill, isn't it? It's the same skill. Because yeah. Even though you're not making stuff up. Right, that's the biggest not, difference. Well, it is yeah, the, the difference. biggest difference, it seems to me, is you're dealing as a journalist with stuff 
you're, you're working with the material outside of you. You're forming that into a coherent narrative, whereas the author has to come, even though I'm sure you're basing it on stuff you've seen and heard, you're still going within for it, for the, for the large bulk of it. Yeah. Is that a fair well, differentiation? It's because kind of, I mean, it's interesting because the one fear that I used to have, I mean, when I first started writing fiction, the one fear yeah. that I had was that I would not be able to make stuff up. That ah, my brain, right. that I had been training all these years, only to tell the truth, only to, you know, the, the, the dialogue was only the sound bites that people gave me. Right. The, the research, the facts were only the research that I saw. The settings were only the places I could be. I couldn't make it be colder or hotter or darker or lighter right. or the house have three stories instead of two. It was what it was. And how was my brain going to flip over into into creating a world that never existed before that's just as real as the world that I'm in, except nope, nobody has explored it except for me. Right. So, but the thing that isn't true about my books, um, I would say only about 10% true, is that right. my investigative stories made into fiction. They're really not. They are, though, kind of an amalgam or a jigsaw puzzle of a little bit from here and a little bit from there, the time somebody confessed to murder, the times I saw the body in the vacant house that, you know, but, uh, you know, Casey Anthony a little bit and the baby doe case a little bit and Klaus von Buell a little bit. I mean, all those, it's more, you know what? It's more experience than it is specific. Right. That's how it feels. Yeah. And how it looks. And how people yeah. sounded and what they their motivation, you know, that's a big part of it. Why would you do that? So right. does it so it wasn't and I know so many authors who made little books when they were six and their parents kept them and then right. they were, they yeah. tried to write all through high school. I never did that. I was a big reader but I was not a writer. I I um even when I, I was a Shakespeare major in college, um mm. and I didn't even I didn't the writing part was not me. That was not what I wanted to do. But then when right. I became a journalist, storytelling, that storytelling germ sort of grew. And that's when I started really writing but i never had a i never had a good idea for a mystery until that Nothing. day in 2005 all right and so that, what happened so i just got goosebumps i had this good idea and i thought I'm going to do this. I'm going to write a book. And I went home and I said to my husband, you know, I've got an idea. I know it's a good idea. I mean, you know how that feels when you get a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And I said, "Um, I'm going to write a mystery. And my husband says, great, sweetheart, you know, great. (laughs) You know, and you can imagine his face. He says, do you know how to write a book? And I'm like, Uh how hard can that be? You know, I've read a million of these. Oh, oh, totally. God. Oh, oh, totally. Uh, because I, and this is the, this is the serious part is that I was so naive uh, that I really believed it did. Oh, no. If yeah. I had known how hard it was at that moment, I never would have started. Have I, right. No, no. Because I was so ridiculously naive and ridiculously overconfident. You know, I thought I've read a million of these books. I am a storyteller on television. I've done this every day. I know stories right. have to have a beginning, middle, and an end. I know how to do this. And I was obsessed. I mean, I was just uh, so determined. I didn't go on any vacations. I didn't have, go wow. to any movies. We didn't uh. have dinner parties. I, you know, on nights and weekends and all my wow. vacation time, we didn't take a vacation for, I mean, years. And I loved it. And that first book turned out to be Prime Time, which was my first novel, and it won the yeah. Agatha for Best First wow. Novel. And that was the beginning of it. And it was just because the universe, just as you said, the universe yeah. presented an idea to me at the time 
I should have had the idea. That was is at the time that was right, and that is what That's happened. Right. And now I'm on my eleventh uh, novel, which is crazy wow. and wonderful. Wow, you're I mean, one I'm so a year. thrilled with <laughs> Isn't that wow. I mean I know and the new That's one is great. Due I love the language. Tuesday. I love the language <laughs> the that the, the universe presents. It's, it's really true. Whatever, however you think about the muse or source energy, the universe. But the thing I've I've had to make make peace with that there's that I if I until something has been given to me, the idea and it can be very small. But until it's given to me, I have nothing to work with. I can't write until the thing arrives that I invited but I didn't make. To say I made my ideas, I think is. I just I allow no, them in. No, you open the door to it and allow yes. them in, 100%. Yes. And if you understand that, when people do understand that, it is such a relief. You yeah. know that You're not there's a lot of Now, I'm not saying there's no stress because you know there are times sure. that I look at the sky and I think any time now, you know, I'm yeah, ready. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right. I'm kind of kind of needing that now. Right. Um and but it still arrives in the nick of time. Um it's, yeah. it still does. My favorite, so, I talked to James Lee Burke. You, you've read much James sure, Lee Burke? Of course, of course. I lo- so we inter- I interviewed him. This is a few, I don't know if my producer remembers. This. I loved this. And, you know, I've been talking to writers for 10 years, and I've done hundreds and hundreds of these. And, you know, we always talk about this, whether you call it the muse. You call it, and, and, and so I said, you don't, you don't outline, do you? I can tell. And he goes, no, no, I don't outline. I got a paragraph. That's it. He said, listen, I'm paraphrasing. If you think you write these things, give up now. You can't do oh. it. You make peace with whatever God you pray to because you don't write these things. It doesn't happen. You can't do it. None of you can do it. You plus whatever. And I You plus totally whatever. Agree. Yep. Yeah, whatever I you t- want to call you it. You know, I would listen to a, a wonderful conversation at Sanders Theater at Harvard between Lee Child and Stephen King, if you can imagine. Oh, yeah. And they Oops, were yeah. they each said they each said that they sometimes feel that they are just channeling something right. and it comes yeah. out their fingers. And they sort yeah. of looked at each other in that conversation. I mean, how, there are no <laughs> two cooler people on the planet yeah, and no two yeah. better writers in the universe or better storytellers. And they had this moment of real connection of seeing that it wasn't just themselves that had this experience, no, but that somebody universal. else had it too. And yeah, if you let it, if if you let it. I mean, the murder list. You know, my new book, the murder list, came from again came from this random little idea, um, yeah. at a time when um, I wasn't kind of wor- looking for an idea. Um, mm-hmm. And it came, you know, I wired myself with hidden cameras and confronted corrupt politicians and right. uh, gone undercover and in disguise. And wow. this idea came at the kitchen table. I mean, it honestly at my kitchen yeah. table. When my husband, who's a criminal defense attorney, was talking about a particularly grisly murder case that he was working right. on, he's defending the the um, person tra- accused of murder, and right. I started thinking about what a good guy he was. You know that he yeah. that he you know was standing up for the rights of the individual, and he was protecting this individual from the you know powerful arm of the state prosecutor and right. that he was making sure the jury believed that people were innocent and too proven guilty and what a good guy he was. And then I thought about the prosecutor's wife, you know, and listening right. to her husband talk about the right. same case, you know, and did she think, you know, he's such a good guy. He's protecting the public. He's standing up for right. law and order, you know, keeping the streets safe. What a good guy he is. And I thought, how can everybody be the good guy? How, how oh, can that be? What a but good question. Yeah, because we choose in our lives, prosecutor or defense attorney or defendant, we do what we think is good, that's 
the right thing. We do it for a reason. And I wondered in the murder list if I could write a, a thriller where the reader could believe that everyone is good. Everyone is good. And, right. then, and near the end, you flip the puzzle over, and I say, now, now what, do you, now what does it look like? Now what does yeah. it, that puzzle That's piece of evidence look like? That's a great idea. Such like. a great and it's idea. almost like, thank I love, and people are, are just gasping at it. I mean, it's, it's funny because it almost makes the reader be the jury. The murder list makes the reader almost be the jury and That's have to so decide cool. what they mean by good. What do you That's mean right. by good? Well, um, and so I get yeah. goosebumps thinking about it. And it was very tough to write, a real juggle to write. But somebody, sure. one wonderful reviewer said, um, if John Grisham and Lisa Scottolini had a book baby, the murder <laughs> list would be it. Wow. So I'm going to make a T-shirt of that, I think. I know. Isn't it? Well, I you know, it's interesting. I, I teach memoir writing and personal essay writing. And one of the rules of memoir writing, and of course, memoirs often involve people who have been in very compromising situations. There's often abuse. There's um, some, sometimes some really awful people that the, mem- that the protagonist runs into. But one of the rules of memoir, Hank, is that there can be, in my, one of my rules, and I think it holds true, is there can be no villains in memoir. That there are ah. people doing villainous things. But everybody... Memoir is just memoirs different. You can, there can certainly be villains in fiction, and there are. But in memoir, you, it doesn't really work because I think in reality, everyone is the hero of their story, even if they're the killer. You know, I, I interviewed someone. I can't remember who it was who said, "You know, the weird thing is, Hitler got up every day. Hitler got up every day thinking, I'm making the world a better place. He 100%. thought he did. He thought he was. You know, from his his worldview, and that is." It's the case. Everyone is the hero of their story, whether they're the killer or the victim. Um, and so that's I think it's a fascinating foundation for a, a murder mystery, which or a, for a thriller, which requires sort of the good guy, bad guy paradigm. To, to work, this is really. exactly right, because one of the things that I love about writing the murder list is that smart readers have an expectation of what will be in a book, and that is sure. a good guy and a bad guy, which, sure. you, which you think you will know very early Pretty on in the soon. book. You know, yeah. who, what train you're on, you know, who you're, who is the, who you're the passenger on this book train with, and who you're rooting for. And I wondered if I could play with that expectation a little yeah. bit yeah, um, yeah. and make the reader think one thing that turns out to be something else because yeah. that's a power that we as writers have too we're readers that's and we right. all understand how a book works and if you know i thought i'm going to take a little risk with this and play with that expectation and see if i can lure the reader along in a very fair and open and honest way everybody's a reliable narrator that's the thing that gets me too everybody right. is a reliable narrator because they will tell you exactly what they believe to be true Right. No I, matter, you know, but yes, doesn't matter. And, and I think what's that's fascinating about that is uh, I, I remember talking to Eric Larson, who's then he writes nonfiction. He wrote Devil uh-huh. in the White City. And but sure. and he said, you know, and he is his really his stories. He he really bases everything on his, he wants it as fact. He was a journalist uh, before he wrote books and he wants it all factual. And he said the one per, the one source I've come to never rely on is people. He said, their memories are useless. They said, if it's not written down, I've had really well-intentioned people tell me their story, and I go back to the source material, and they've gotten it all wrong. And, but they're we, still, but was, in their mind, telling the truth, because they thought it was. No, no, and it's, they're not making it up. It is what they no. absolutely believe to be true, and that's what I, I love about that. When I was in college, I made a game for my family called Familial Pursuits. <laughs> and it was it was questions that you could pull from a hat that would say like right. 
who was Hank's roommate in college? And right. everybody had a different memory of it. Or yes. where was Chip the night the barn burned down? Right. And everybody had a different memory of it. And we ha- you know, wound up saying, you know, no, that's wrong. It was this. And it was pure, a pure example what of how people game. have true beliefs. Yeah, it was. I, w- I could have made a million dollars. Too bad. <laughs> anyway, um, that people have true beliefs. So I went on this other on this other career, which is um, equally lucrative. Um, went on. Uh huh. Went on this. Um, people believe what they believe, and that right. is that is one of the fun things about writing a novel. Is that a, 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 a thriller, a mystery like The Murder List, is that everybody's a reliable narrator to themselves. That's right. That's right. There's a, I was just writing about uh, the Rashomon effect. Are you familiar with that? That's that sure, the movie. Um, sure. And it's and how that in a way, we're all. When a writer tells a story, they're they're kind of like they are all a character from the Rashomon effect. In other words, you choose the version of the story you want to tell, because everyone because you can tell a story from many many points of view, and they can all Absolutely. be true from that point of view. And but true. you have to choose the angle you want. I mean, it's in my book, The Murder List, my first standalone that came out last year. That's really the essence of it, and that is the journey yeah. that I took the reader on. And trust me, too, is here's a story that someone tells, and you believe it. You know, you completely sure. believe it. And then I say, okay, what if it happened this way? And then you right. think, oh, and then you think, oh. and then I say, what if it happened this way? And oh, that's equally possible. And I wanted people to look at the not only to read the book and have that uh, that sort of eye-opening experience about how what you believe to be true isn't necessarily yeah. true, but then to take that experience and look at the whole world that way, you know, not yes. to make a snap judgment about people and if, not to make a snap judgment about a way that something has to be, you know, to open your mind and listen to people and that the possibility um, I mean, one of the things that I learned that is so profound to me in writing is that I could be wrong. You know, that somebody, I know it sounds funny, yeah. but that my editor could have a better idea. And hooray! Right. You know, if my editor has a better idea, I'm thrilled with that. Bring it on. Put that in my book. I'm delighted. Because my goal is to have it be the best book it can be. That's um, a great so attitude. I'm always open to the possibility that somebody else could make it better. And I say, hooray. I live for that. I live for well, that. Well, Hank. You are one interesting woman. I could talk to you for a long time, but sadly, our time is almost up. But I'm not quite ready to let you go, not just yet. Uh, First of all, if people want to learn more about the wonderful Hank Filippi Ryan, where can they do it? Well, they can just call me. That's fine. No. Um, (laughs) They um, they want to just browse your yeah. website. My maybe. website, my website cleverly named hankphilippiryan.com. And ah, if you go beautiful. to my website and click on contact up in the upper corner, it comes right to me. There's no middle person. So that email will come directly to me. Great. I, I'm right. on Facebook way too much and Twitter, uh, on Instagram, one of my faves, at Hank P. Ryan. I'm always on those ridiculous social media things, but I love to talk to people and I love to to meet people. My my tour schedule is incredible. Come to my website and oh, look on, right. on events because I am just – I am racking up the frequent flyer miles. You know, I awesome. I pull my suitcase through the airport humming magical mystery tour, you know, <laughs> because I'm so pleased and so honored to be able to sort of be on this mystery journey. Who gets to do this? I'm so lucky. It's so awesome. Well, Hank, clearly you deserve it, but I'm not done with you. As I said, I'd like you to – 
do this one last question. What I want you to do is finish this sentence. Kind of already talked about it some, but who knows what you'll come up with when I ask it. So finish this sentence. If writing has taught me anything, it's taught me what? You never know what wonderful thing is around the next corner. Excellent. Yes. Yes. Life's a discovery. Life's an adventure. Hank, thank you so much. Uh, This book sounds awesome. Awesome. Uh, I I wish you nothing but the best with it and your next and your next and your next. Thank you. I, I've had a wonderful time. Thanks to you both. Um, and You're I hope you'll welcome. invite me back. This is such a terrific show. I will. I will. Do you just have to write another book, though, Hank? It's due Tuesday. Okay. That's all I can tell <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll see you in a year. All right, Hank. Okay. Take it easy. Right, you bye-bye. too. Bye-bye. Yes. People, she, she said something interesting. She said, I, could, I thought about this. She said, you know, don't make snap decisions about other people. It's true. And here's the other thing, people. Don't make snap decisions about yourself. Maybe you're wrong when you think I'm not good enough. Maybe you're wrong when you think I can't do this. Maybe you're wrong when you think you got any, haven't got any talent. It feels bad when you think it. It's probably not true. That's right. I'll be back again next week, the usual time, Tuesday. Until then, go find some. Oh, thank you to my producer, RJ Jeffries. You're awesome, as always. Ah, as I was saying, find something you love and then go do it. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.